Rio. Many say it's the world's most beautiful city. It's hard to dispute that. Rio de Janeiro is also known for its beaches, nightlife, and vibrant culture. Rio's biggest export, certainly its biggest cultural export, Samba, and its largest attraction, Carnival, have Mama Africa to thank. Thank you, Mama Africa, for the spirit of Black African rebellion, resistance, and resilience that shows up in Rio's vibrant culture. The key word being Quilombo. More on that later. Danny Mahmoud is the person to know if you want to see and understand the whole of Rio, from its little African neighborhood to Christ the Redeemer to Copacabana Beach. She joins us next on The Parlay in All Blue. Danny Mahmoud, welcome to The Parlay in All Blue. So good to see you, my friend. How are you? Uh, Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Um, I'm good and very happy for being here with you again, to see you again. So let's go. Let's talk. Let's talk because I was really talking to you. Let's go. Let's talk. (laughs) And just for the audience's perspective, Danny was my family's guide when we visited Rio. And, you know, when you think about going to Rio, of course, it's going to be fabulous, but Danny gave us a slice and perspective of Rio and Brazil and the culture and what have you that made it much richer than what we expected. And um, she's going to share some things with us. But anyway, how are things? How's your health? Are you good and all of those things? I'm good. I'm good. Thank God. Uh, In those two last years, I've been concerned a lot about healthy. (laughs) especially yeah. because I'm close to my family and my mom. But thank God we're all good here. Oh, that's that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. So let's start just sort of at the top. And, you know, Rio is a well-known international city, but I think there's so much about the history and, and founding and what have you, and even the, the founding of Brazil, which would take us to a much different conversation, you know, broader, but at least let's just talk about Rio. How did it become, you know, a city and and just in such an international presence? Well, Rio for Portugal in the beginning wasn't very important. Brazil was huge. Portugal wasn't that big. So they were going mainly to the Northeast cities because they were closer to Europe. Actually, the French got here first in order to found the city. They founded the Antarctic France. And only after that, Portugal sent a troop to kick the French out and uh, found here a city. But I'm talking about an European perspective. Yeah. Because before their arrival in 15 hundreds, we had the Tupinambas natives living here for at least a thousand and five hundred years. And until nowadays, the citizens of Rio de Janeiro are called Cariocas. I'm a Carioca as a citizen of Rio de Janeiro. And Carioca came from the most important indigenous villages named 
that was here even before the Portuguese and for those Tupinamba natives who came from Amazon. When they got here and saw the city, they found a city that looked like their Guapjupia, an idyllic place that we could translate as paradise. Paradise, okay. And the same paradise the Europeans, they saw here, and we have tons of books and letters of the first Europeans who got here talking about the tons of greens that they were seeing here. But in the book, the books of history, Rio de Janeiro really became important. And from that, that moment on, became capital of everything when the Portuguese, they finally found gold in Minas Gerais. Minas Gerais is a state in the countryside of Brazil. This state has no coast. So Rio de Janeiro became the main city to export all this gold and diamonds to Europe and also to yeah. keep the taxes and everything. In that moment, when they found gold in this state without coast, Rio de Janeiro became the capital of the colony and became important. Yeah, yeah. got a lot of money, a lot of investment, and also became the most important slave trade in, I would say, in the world because yeah. we started to receive many Africans mainly to be enslaved to work in the mines and also to erect this new capital. Yeah, you know, what was very interesting and it's not told a lot is, is that how much of Africans coming to the New World and Europeans even going into Africa, even into West Africa, the first sort of thing they're looking for is gold and minerals. And then the trade of African slaves sort of came along with that. But now I think people, you know, really don't understand. And, and we, we've done or doing an episode on Salvador as well, is that of the 12 and a half million Africans who were in the transatlantic slave trade, about half of them went to Brazil. This, the, the number that actually ended up in the United States is small relative to the half that went to, to Brazil to about 43% that went to the Caribbean. The percentage that went to the United States, what we know where I am, is actually relatively small. But with that, Rio is a very, has a rich African influence. I think people, you know, you don't think of it that way, or at least I didn't, but it's very African and there is, Little Africa there. Tell, tell us a little bit about Little Africa. Yeah, that's true. And I've been working with many schools. I guide in this, in this Little Africa district. And actually, I'm also one volunteer of the Institute of Newly Blacks. And I guide students from public schools to know more the African influence in our culture. And I've been talking a lot, even about our language, because many people say that we speak Portuguese, 
Right. Some tourists, right. and I like that, they talk about Brazilian. So you speak Brazilian? And I say, yes, I do speak Brazilian. I don't speak Portuguese. I like that. Uh-huh. And we have a great writer, Brazilian writer called Lélia Gonzalez. And she says that we don't speak Portuguese. Portuguese is Portuguese in, Port- in our language, Portuguese. She says that we, we speak Pretuguese. What is that? Preto means black. Okay. She makes the word black and Portuguese. Give me, give me an example of what that, yeah, what's, what's that sound like? Instead of saying Portuguese, she says we speak Pretuguese. And it's like U.S. and England, you speak differently. Yep. And for us, I think the difference is even bigger. I cannot understand a Portuguese person speaking. It's a way different melody, many, many different words. And we have our Black influences that we say it's not only about the Africans, but also the indigenous because they were called as Black natives. And we have a lot of words and expressions that came from Africa, but we have no idea about it. Right. Because back in the days at school, I was warned by my teachers about French and English words in our language, like abajur, we say abajur, we say petit pois, but we, were, we yeah. weren't talking about many words in Yoruba or even carioca. Carioca is a tupi namba word that came from our natives. And we were talking in our daily routine, but we thought it was from Portugal, but it's not. Yeah, from the Yoruba culture. Give me some things that that have come from Yoruba culture that one would experience in Brazil, whether in Little Africa. How would how would someone who would know would see signs of Yoruba culture or African culture in Little Africa and Rio today? I started with the language. Even the melody of our language came a lot from Yoruba. Because some letters couldn't be pronounced by Africans and natives, so they change it. And also the way we speak is different. Samba was created and raised in this little Africa zone. Our carnival, the two main ways to celebrate carnival in Brazil, they were developed in Little Africa, the instruments, even the themes. And that's what I love. When I'm talking to kids, I bring many popular songs. And in those popular songs, there's tons of references of Orishas, (laughs) Uh of the cosmology, both from Africa or also from some native cultures and people they sing without noticing so i like to point that you know this song very popular that you were singing 
Yep. So this means that you were talking with a Norisha or this means that even the Samba schools, each Samba school has like a Norisha that, how could I say, it's the, the protector. And Orisha, Orisha is a part of the Yoruba, the deities in the Yoruba. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And they usually, they are connected to nature. So one Orisha is connected to the power of the thunder, the other one with the power of the waterfalls. And each Samba school has their own Orisha. And the drums, they're played in a such a way to make their own Orisha happy, you know? Yep. The drumming. Yeah. So, you know, what's interesting is, is that part of the, the connections and you sort of see this throughout the Western hemisphere in, in the United States, certainly through blues music, gospel music, jazz, and rhythm and blues, all of the African influences sort of just, you know, it's easy to trace there. But you see it in salsa in Latin America and reggae and then Samba, uh, like you said, there in Brazil. But before, I, I do want to spend some time in going through Samba, but I want to go back just a little bit. So Rio is clearly a port city and received a number of Africans there. And I think, or people should know if they don't know, the middle passage of coming from West Africa to the Western Hemisphere and landing in Rio it's a very grueling sort of trip, but there was something there that really came to mind in terms of, for me, the harrowing experience of when people actually landed in Rio. Talk a little bit about what happened and how people were restored to health, but then what happened to people who, who died even after making it here? First, we had a massive trade of Africans coming through. And when we talk about numbers, they can be impressive nowadays. But if we think about two, three hundred years ago is even worse because the number of population here was way smaller. But in one wharf for 30 years, we received around a million Africans to be enslaved just in one wharf. Right. And if people, in a way, they died, the solution was just through them on the ocean. And this habit also changed. It changed the food habit of the, the sharks because they started to follow the ships because they knew many bodies would be thrown in the ocean. Yep. easy for them to eat. So they started to to follow those sheep coming from Africa to Brazil. It also changed the way the city of Rio de Janeiro was growing and the creation of this little Africa that you were talking about. Because in the beginning, we had the first square. Nowadays, this square is called 15 square. And Everybody was arriving to Rio de Janeiro or leaving the city by this square with the main wharf. But especially when Rio de Janeiro was becoming important, 
the vice king that was leading the city here, he decided that it wasn't good for the local society to receive the Africans at the same wharf that all regular people and goods were arriving. So they created a new wharf on the suburbs of the city. And this new wharf also take the whole complex of slave trade to this area that now is known as Little Africa. So the market, the Lazaretto, or even the cemetery for the newly arrived. So The cemetery for the newly arrived, that was a discovery in someone's house though, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about sort of that discovery. Yeah, I, I think it's important to point that this is a discovery because we had an intention to erase it, to erase this story. And that's why it's so important to do this tour and to know better Little Africa, because this is a movement of resistance. Yep. Resistance to tell a story in a non-European perspective. Yeah. So this first wharf that I was talking about that was created was also erased. It was covered when we officially had the end of the African trade in Brazil. And this cemetery for newly arrived was also erased. It was covered and many houses they were erected in the area as we had no cemeteries, no tracks of this horrible story, like it never happened. And even I have some friends that have been to Portugal and some people, they deny <laughs> this slavery. So this lady, this uh, there was a couple living in this house and they were working to renovate the house. And the workers, they started to find pieces of bones. In the beginning, they thought it could be bones of, I don't know, dogs or something like that. But they saw a huge amount and they warned the owner of the house. And they told her that it was a lot of bones and something weird had under their house. And she said, well, we need to find out what it's all about. And actually, we think that other people, other owners of houses around, they had found bones too, but they decided to keep it in secret because we know it's a lot of problems to deal with this situation. But she decided to do a research, to call the authorities, and they found out that it was part of this newly arrived cemeteries, cemetery. And nowadays, we have this institute. Actually, the institute completed four days ago, 26 years. Okay. And they are still there. The families live in there, but they are using part of their house as a cultural center, an institute to talk about 
the African heritage in, in Rio de Janeiro. So we can see the bones and they created the road. I'm one of their volunteers to show people the story of the African heritage in Brazil. Yeah, no, you, you, you took us there and they were very gracious to let us in their home. You can see right there and that theme of erasing like it did not happen or anything is common throughout the world. Like that everybody wants to forget, but I mean, the bones aren't lying. The samba isn't lying. The food isn't lying. Any of the, the dance isn't lying. The noses aren't lying. Any of those things. Exactly, just, there's so exactly. many things that show up throughout the West that, that point to the horrors of the slave trade. And there's also, like you said, that period, uh, that, that spirit of resistance. And so with resistance, I do want to ask you, what is a quilombo? <laughs> well, quilombo is resistance. Back in the days, during the slave times in Brazil, all the enslaved people who could run from their masters uh, escape, they would run towards the forest to create this community of resistance and to to struggle to fight and until nowadays we we still have quilombos but in a different way because we have urban quilombos nowadays also to resist but in a cultural way or to keep a way of life because some people they forget that it's not only about capitalism and this type of life that we have nowadays. We don't need to wake up early, to study in a regular school, to work in an office. We have different ways to live. And for example, here we have a Colombo with people that work in agri-familiar with agriculture in a familiar way. Yep. It's also a way to live. And they got the right to live in this place because it's inside the park. But they proved that they were there for at least 300 years, which means even before the creation of the park, they were living in that way. And it's also a quilombo because they have the right to keep living in that way without following the standards, rules of social life. So quilombo is, again, a resistance, but nowadays in a different perspective. It's to resist in your way of thinking, living, following a culture, a religion, and so on. Yeah. So the quilombo... You know, there's also sort of this um, myth or story that, you know, erasure that people want to tell that the Africans didn't resist. So whether you go to Jamaica and you have maroon communities in New Orleans, around New Orleans, there are lots of maroon communities where, you know, people escape. To. And New Orleans has a rich tradition of sort of Mardi Gras Indians, and that's really the indigenous people helping the Africans to escape and they celebrate them with uh, costumes and, and all of those things during Carnival and Mardi Gras season, which is going on now. Same in South Carolina, which is being discovered, but even in Colombia, the Palenque towns or what have you. So this idea of 
slavery wasn't that bad and people didn't resist and they wanted to, they were okay with being slaves or what have you. That is such a, a myth. And you all even have heroes that are, are there that are kind of hidden away. They're not a, a big part of or honored in the town square, but you will talk about them. Zumbi and Dandara. I will. But first, because you were talking about people think that there were no resistance, I think it's important to say that it was diaspora process, you know? And with a diaspora process, we break the, the relations. There's an effort to break the relations between the person and their roots. So, uh, okay, there were tones of Africans against a few number of Portuguese, but they managed in a way to leave different groups together so they couldn't easily talk among each other. They brought a lot of kids, so they were also afraid. Many kids that couldn't communicate among them all. So in the beginning, it was hard to create this organization. But then with time, the organizations, the associations, they started to happen. And we had a huge Quilombo with almost 30,000 people leaded by Zumbi. And it was in the 17th century. So it was huge. It was powerful. He was running for some decades, this, this Quilombo. And he died only because he was betrayed. So someone told the government power where they were, and he was trusting in someone that was actually acting on his back. And the day of his death, November 20th, is nowadays the Black Conscious Days in Brazil. That's right. November 20th, Black Conscious Day in Brazil. And that's something that if you're listening, mark that on your calendar in the United States. And let's celebrate with uh, the Brazilians <laughs> too. So yeah. we're celebrating together, right? Yeah. And this is an interesting thing because, you know, when uh, I am a tour guide now for seven years, and in the beginning of my work as a tour guide, I was missing more celebrations in these days, you know. Every November 20th, I was feeling like we should have more celebrations. But the little Africa was empty. There were almost nothing. And I started to pay attention to that. And I, I realized two things in, in those last seven years. First, the last mayor, he was working against the celebration. So he was, for example, you know that we have in Little Africa a place called Saltstone. And the Saltstone is considered the heart of this Little Africa, the place where we have the samba every Monday night, the place that is considered the, the crib of samba when we had the first groups getting together, composing and playing samba and so on. And he, he closed this area in the week of the celebration of November 20th because he said, no, this, this building is condemned. So for the 
safety of the population, we are closing this area in the exactly week of the celebration. And he made many movements to make difficult to celebrate it. But on the other hand, the second thing that I observed that we are having more and more celebrations created by groups, restaurants, and people from urban quilombos like Nando's house. Yeah, Nando's house. Yes, our, our cultural Columbos. It's and so so. Let me let me say this because there's so much I want to to cover. But I think the parallel, and this would just be one with the Mardi Gras Indians in New Orleans. There was a huge, for a long time, resistance to them being able to celebrate. Like they they would not allow them to do their parades and dance the way they wanted to in the city. To try it, there's a lot of police sort of harassment of when they would mask and, and and do their dances or what have you. That whole idea of of cultural suppression is common. And I do want to 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 for people to make this connection. These are important names. Look it up on your own. Zumbi. Dandara, who is Zumbi's wife, is just as powerful as him. But if you think about in Colombia, Vincas Biojo or Nat Turner or, or Denmark Vesey here in the United States, this idea that they were happy slaves and they weren't resisting and they weren't, that's just a, a myth. And there's, there's a lot to cover there. And you have to just come back for an episode just on that. But I do want to, to move forward a little bit on that idea of, of culture and, and how it's so important and just talk about samba because samba is a little is a lot of different things, right? Yeah. But it is. What, is, what is samba? Is it, 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 and, and listen for those those people in the audience. It's taken me a while to sort of get all of the different things that samba is, but I'll let Danny take it. <laughs> but do you remember that I've done a, a virtual tour only about samba, right? <laughs> so it's a lot. Yes, yes <laughs> well, it is right. But let me try to make it simple. But samba, it's a rhythm. Rhythm. Not only one, because we have mm -hmm. different types of samba. We have yep. a samba that we call samba de roda, which means we have a bunch of musicians on a table playing and people are around them, standing, singing along. And we have samba from the samba schools. So just to give a fast idea what the samba school is, we have those associations called the samba schools. Every year we have a competition, which is a parade. Each samba school chooses a plot and they create everything around this plot. So the floats, the costumes, and the song. So the song is a type of summary of the main plot. And people, they sing this samba. Usually it, it has a faster pace than the regular samba that we hear in the parties. Uh, and we have pagodi, which is a slow samba. I'm talking just about the music, but we also can dance samba. And we have Two main types of samba, the samba de gafiera, the ballroom samba, and we dance it with a partner. And we have 
the samba no pé, samba on the foot, samba on the feet. And we danced alone. Usually in the parades, we dance alone. And in the ballrooms, we dance with a partner. And samba is also a party. I can say, whoa, let's go to a samba. There's a very good samba going on. So it's a samba party. And we can go to a samba to hear samba and then samba. Yeah, no. So again, just to, to go through, there's samba is a rhythm. Mm-hmm. Samba is a dance, and there are multiple types of dance. Ballroom, which is with a partner and in a parade by yourself. There's the music or samba songs. Uh-huh. And then there's the samba, which is a party, just people getting together and just partying. That could happen at any time. And then there's the samba schools. Exactly. Okay. And I would add that samba is also a source of research because samba is also a way for especially the Black community to talk about their perspective of history. If we're not in the official history books, we can talk about our perspective of history through the sambas. So many researchers, many schoolers, they are working with sambas to rewrite the history of Brazil. Yeah, and that's why the, the, the samba is really essential to the culture of, of Brazil. And now the funny thing is, is that while Brazil will try to suppress a lot of the Africanness that goes along with it, but what Brazil markets to the United States and to Europe and everybody is come and do the samba and party and what have you. So it's like the country wants it two ways. They want to say, no, there's, you know, there was no oppression. The slavery wasn't that bad. It didn't happen that long. But at the same time, they're like, come and experience all of this African culture. The yeah. big and you know what I love? My my dream, because I was about to do that this year, but we don't know if we're having carnival. But I really want to to lead groups of tourists to the parade, but to explain them the plot, because the visual thing, it, it's easy to see and to enjoy, but the history and to explain what each of the school is bringing is so rich, you know, because uh, we had, you know, that we had a very strong issue with the president and so on. And it was one Sunday school. I am having goose and bumps with that. Who brought a very strong plot. Okay. Talking okay. about the Marielle, for example. They brought Marielle Franco, that city councilor that was killed. Okay. By okay. the militia because she was fighting. Okay against the policemen killing, especially black young guys in the favelas. Yep. She was denouncing many policemen and she was killed. We still didn't find the killer, the person who ordered to kill her. And the Sunday school brought, closing the parade, a huge flag with her face and with the phrase, who ordered to kill Marielle? 
And all the crowd, all the audience started to applause and went crazy. And this Samba School won. And for us, it was a relief, you know, because we were living in a very difficult moment. We still were. Actually, we were <laughs> waiting for the, the next elections. But that moment, we felt like we weren't alone. And, yeah. and that's powerful. Yeah, no, I remember you and I exchanging messages over uh, WhatsApp when uh, the George Floyd killing happened here and sort of Black Lives Matter kind of, you know, became a big deal. And you had shared the story of that woman in the in the Samba school with us. But that whole thing of 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 the killing of black people, black boys, black men or what have you is as prevalent or maybe more prevalent in Brazil as it is in the in the United States. Let me let me ask um, one question, though, about favelas or what have you, because there's an interesting story about the first favela there in Brazil. First off, what is a favela and how was the first one sort of founded? Favela also has many explanations. So in common sense, favela are the irregular occupations of the city to create communities, especially on hills. But the hills thing is more because of the geography of Rio de Janeiro. The city of Rio de Janeiro is very rich with many hills and lakes. Many lakes were covered, many hills were destroyed to make flat zones in the city, but we still have many hills. But the flat zones, they are way more expensive to live. It's difficult to afford living there, especially the flat zones close to the ocean. So, but the rich districts, they need to be erected and they also need workers to run the local business like the restaurants, the drugstores, the supermarkets, and so on. Our transport system is not that good. So people, they take way too long to get to the south zone. The south zone is the rich zone here, Copacabana, Ipanema. And it's also very expensive. So the favelas, they are also a solution because people, they save time and money. They decided to climb those hills. The rich people, they didn't want to leave. So they are close to the opportunities. And also favela is a type of plant. Favela is a bush. And that's where the story that you're asking me starts. In Brazil, we had slavery officially until 1888. Yeah, 23 years after the United States. Yes, a long time. So slavery in Brazil was more expansive than the United States. It started earlier. There were more Africans imported, and it lasted longer. So you were saying 1888. I'm, I'm sorry, you had to, it, it ends in 1888. 1888, it was the last country to abolish slavery in America. And there were no social projects to introduce the ex-enslaved people to this society. No education, no housing projects, no job, no anything. <laughs> they were just free, but free of 
opportunities either. And at the same time, we had in 1889, one year later, we had the proclamation of the Republic. For you to have an idea, <laughs> the government with the end of slavery, they didn't help the free person, the free people. And in the other hand, they paid indemnity to the slave owners who lost their property. And we had the Republic with those eugenic ideas. And I think it's also important to make a parallel between the racism in Brazil and U.S. You had the one-drop law, right? Yeah. Yep. And here, our government had another perspective. They thought that we could invite the population, make the population whiter. Yes. So we start many migration programs, bringing Europeans, blocking Asians and Africans to enter in the country and mixing the population because they thought if we had mixigenation in three generations, we wouldn't have no black people anymore. So by yeah. their counts in 2000, Brazil would be a white country. Yeah. Okay. But it was still a difficult project because the number of black people here was huge. And we were in the beginning of the Republic in the Northeast of the country. We had a community leaded by a religious leader and he was bringing this idea of self-sustainable religious community. And this community was growing a lot. In some months, they had thousands of people following this religious leader. And the Republicans, they started to be concerned because the Republic was brand new, yeah. still fragile, and they were supporting this idea that the Republic with capitalism was the best way to run a society. And suddenly a crazy religious leader bring this sustainable idea growing a lot, and they thought, wow, they, we have a problem here. They tried to fight this community two times, and they failed. So the leader of the army had an idea, wow, we have two problems. We have way too much Black people in our society, and we have this religious community growing a lot. So let's send these Black soldiers to fight their community. And if they kill each other, we have two problems solved. Yep. And let's promise them that if they win, we give them the land they want to leave. Mark, what I'm telling you, it's not in the official books in these words, okay? And what they say is just that we have many soldiers here that were looking for better life conditions, and the army gave them an opportunity by promising them lands if they won the battle. Yep. They went there. They stayed in a hill with favela plants. They were in this hill of favela. They won the battle, and when they returned, 
to Rio de Janeiro, expecting to have lands for them to start a, a new life. They were just waiting and there were no lands for them. So they started to occupy another hill here in front of the headquarter of the army, waiting for a providence. This is the Providence Hill that exists until nowadays. It's considered the first favela. And they were talking to each other. Here we are again in this, in another favela hill. And from that, that moment on, all the irregular occupations on hills, they became known as favelas because of this plant, very resistant, that were with those population in a difficult condition. And yeah, that's how the favela name came. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to think that I would want to, to draw some parallels for, for people, you know, here in the United States is that that history of governments uh, in, in Brazil, just heard Danny talk about it, is that promising Black Africans that if you fight in war, that, you know, you'll get land and you'll get all of these things and it did not happen. Uh, for Black Americans, that's happened three times, right? So during the Civil War, fighting to save the Union, 200,000 Black soldiers participating, which is virtually, you know, when you start to think about the free population in the North who could have, that wasn't enslaved, that's a huge amount of pe percentage of people. After World War One, Black soldiers participating, but then coming back with an increased number of lynchings hangings, killings, burnings, or what have you. And then we had the same thing. My father fought in World War II, and there was a promise of the GI Bill, which would give you access to housing and education and what have you. Blacks were largely locked out of that. And then so when you have these favelas in Brazil and you wonder, okay, so why are all these people here and what's the poverty and crime and what have you? It's the same thing is sort of redlining and other creation of, of ghettos that we have here in the United States. The, the parallels between the countries, everything, it, it might have like a slightly different tinge to it if you go from place to place, whether it's in Cuba or in Puerto Rico, the importing more Europeans to make the country wider. The same Dominican Republic did the same thing. There's so many things that are, are similar between all of these countries and how the world is trying to deal with the aftermath of enslaving people from all of those times. And what do you do with those 12 million Africans who were brought over? It's incredible. I do want to, to say this as we, as we move forward, I would encourage you to just study and just learn about Brazil's very rich culture. But the other thing now we know with Brazil and I went with my family and had an awesome time, an awesome time. I will also say that people associate Brazil, rightly so, with the beaches and with the nightlife, okay? So we stayed in Copacabana, all right? Which I, Is Copacabana the largest or is that the largest beach there? No, it's not. We it's have, not? Okay. Yeah, we have larger beaches and they also changed the names with the neighborhood, so... In Copacabana Beach, we have we see one beach, but we have two. We have Copacabana and Lemmy on the left. And the same thing happens with the rest of the coast. Well, we have different types of beaches here, and I love them all. 
Copacabana is the most famous, the most popular. Famous, yes. I really, yeah. I really like Lemmy, the very beginning of Copacabana, because it's the same beach, but not that crowded. Yep. We have Ipanema. Ipanema has a beautiful sunset, too. And the young people, they, they like Ipanema. We have some tribes. So the LGBT community, they like Ipanema, the surfers. Leblon is more like the wealthy families. And we have the whole West zone. The West coast is amazing. And some of them, they're less urban. So they're great, too. I think you haven't been there, so you need to come back to Rio to visit the zone. <laughs> yeah, no. So so we were staying in Copacabana, and while and we did Tara and I, the adults, we went to uh, Ipanema, the neighborhood, and did the shopping. Very nice neighborhood, and, and the beaches, and they're very just, just a great vibe. But the kids stayed on Copacabana, and, and who knows what they did while they were there alone on Copacabana, but it's a, it's a great time. What about some of the nightlife and things to experience? You talked about the sambas, and so we have to come back and do go to a samba, right, for sure. What's, what's a really good samba that you enjoy or, or like? Well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm an early bird, you know. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I always had problems with nightlife because by 2 a.m. I need to go to sleep. Yeah, I'm uh-huh. this person. But I have a solution for me here because there is a great samba that I love that happens every Monday and it starts 4.30 p.m. and it goes until 10 p.m. So for me, it's perfect. (laughs) There you go. It's in the North Zone, the workers' class zone. It's nearby my house. And I really love this samba. It's amazing. There are many sambas. I I, I really like, especially the sambas in the North Zone. But we have uh, nightlives for everybody, you know. So techno music, samba, bossa nova, Everything, country music. We also have country music, and it's very popular here. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. 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 Now, I, you know, listen, the one thing that I got from Brazil and uh, living and in, in visiting there, not living there, but you can see that people who live there really enjoy the sort of richness of life and just 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 take life in. And, it, and listen, there's... Brazil in certain has a lot of wealth and then has poverty and has just like every place else. There's good and bad, but people really seem to to lean into and and enjoy life there. And of course, there's the Christ the Redeemer statue, and, and there's so many things to see there. And I, we saw them all. So Rio is is just great. Do want to encourage people that when you go to Carnival, as you should, and I haven't been. And you go to Copacabana or Ipanema or any of the other beaches to make sure that you take in Little Africa. And if you are so fortunate to go to a cultural Colombo, like we went to the House of Nando and had feijoada, some of the best food I ever had anywhere in the world. And that's that's France. That's in 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 uh, Amsterdam. That's in New York or whatever. That feijoada was the 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 best. New Orleans. Let me ask you this as we wrap up and we ask everybody on the podcast, 
What does it mean to live well? For me, to live well, it's to live without major concerns that, from my point of view, should not exist in life in society. For example, I understand that society should be a group to help each other and to seek to guarantee the basics for everyone. So for me, living well is being able to live in the present moment, enjoying that moment without being co-opted by survival thoughts like where I am going to sleep today or will I eat? how to deal with the excess of work that my body and mind are not able to deliver when I get old. And that's, that's a concern that I have. Will I have someone or some structure to take care of me? So sometimes I, I feel like I'm not really enjoying the moment today because I'm concerned about, wait, I need to think about the future because I don't think this society is working to help me, but it's more like against me. <laughs> it's always trying to take advantage and no matter what. So first of all, to live well is living without those concerns. And we have in this way to have quality of free time, you know, and listening and meeting the demands of our body, our soul and our mind and not the demands of the capitalism and the capitalist system, you know? Yeah. Uh, thank you for that. Thank you for that. All right. And so now we'll end with some, some light questions or fun questions. There'll be a few here. So you mentioned a couple of beaches again. What's your favorite beach? Your favorite again, which what's it? What's the name? I like to go to Lemmy. Lemmy because it's here in the South zone. It's closer. But when I have the whole day free, I like to go to Prainha in the West Zone during the week, not on the weekends because it's too crowded. So Prainha or Lemmy. Got it. The Samba school that you are most excited to see during carnival season, what's your favorite Samba school? I, I live almost in front of Salgueiro. Say it again slower. Salgueiro. Okay. And I also like Mangueira. Mangueira is the Samba school who brought the theme about Marielle and so on. Got it. Got it. I mean, I have a couple. <laughs> I like some Samba schools, especially the ones who face bringing strong politics themes. I like them. And your favorite Samba musician? I, I, wow, I have some, but this number that I was mentioning every Monday is played by Moacir Luis. Okay. Moacir Luis? Moacir, M-O-A-C-Y-R. Okay. Luz, L-U-Z. Got it. Okay. All right. All right. Very good. Very good. And, and listen, I know that things are, you know, everything for COVID is kind of slowing things down for everyone. And I just want to emphasize again, that sort of, we will definitely be back to Brazil and to Rio to visit again, because there's so much to do and see. 
and not just with the fun part, but definitely I, I am all about eating, dancing, and drinking. I could do that all day and listening to music, and you can get plenty of that in Brazil. But there's so much of the culture and history that we didn't get to. So, Danny, we will be back to see you. But in the interim, I want to say thank you for uh, joining us here on the Parlay in All Blue. We really appreciate you, and uh, we wish you all the best there in Rio. Thank you. I was a little bit nervous, but it was good. I, I hope you had understood everything because sometimes I miss some words, some expressions, but I hope I have brought this all themes clear, especially because it, they're complex, right? <laughs> We spend many yeah. days talking about them and to bring them all in just one hour is, is difficult, but I, I, I try to, to bring in a way that you could understand a little. And I, I hope you had enjoyed this. Yeah, no, we definitely did. I definitely did. And I'm sure the audience will. We appreciate you. All right. You take care. Thank you. Thank you again for the okay. invitation. All right. Bye-bye. We appreciate you here at the Parlay in All Blue. Please tell someone about us. Share the podcast. Make sure you leave a comment. You can find the Parlay in All Blue at Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, or Stitcher. Wherever you receive your podcast, you can find us there. Make sure that you add us as a favorite. Follow us or subscribe. Whatever it is you need to do to make sure that you're plugged in. We want to say a big thanks to DJ Market G for allowing us to use his music exclusively on our podcast. We appreciate it, bro. Much love. Thank you again. I'm out.